0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily
1: Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Ramil, and we are opening up the mailbag, fresh off of a seven-game winning streak. A lot of you guys have questions in regards to what the hell is going on. Let's get started. The first bunch of questions, all very similar, so... This is from George Coles. What's this win streak give us? The standings are too close. We should have tanked. You guys and many others thought the team was bad enough to lose. Now do you agree it's tank time? That's George Coles. Thank you. Another question from Gene. This draft class is projected to be one of the NBA's deepest draft classes since 2003, so why are the Heat winning all of a sudden? In 2015, we had a better roster and didn't mind losing a few games and fighting for a lottery pick. And even then we ended up with the number 10 pick. Now that we have a chance to end up with a top three pick, we go on a seven-game winning streak and allow other teams to leapfrog us in the draft. Please provide some clarity with what the Heat are doing because I'm honestly confused. I don't know whether it's because of the trade deadline or maybe just the fact that I'm just overreacting, but I'm not sure why the Heat are suddenly winning. I was really looking forward to buying a Markel fultz Orlando Ball Heat jersey sometime after the draft. And then our final question that we're kind of grouping together here. How can you explain this win streak? Have the Heat turned it around? That's from Douglas Philip Yee. So, some concerns and some questions about the seven-game win streak, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's probably best to address Douglas's question first, because yeah. the the explanation as to how the win streak has happened might shed some light. But, you know, now that I think about it, the questions about the tank or not the tank, those are difficult to answer, because as we've spoken to... You know, Anthony Chang of Palm Beach Sports or other, uh, the Palm Beach Post. Wow. Um, You know, and trying to get some kind of a clue as to whether or not there's an active process toward tanking. The realization that a lot of us have come to is that there isn't, but I don't know that they're necessarily fighting against the tank. And all of a sudden, this seven-game win streak kind of proves that, I think. You know, it was never their full intention to embrace a tank. This is just an organization that won't do that. We saw that throughout the whole season. Um, regarding their consistent level of effort, regardless of whether they were winning or losing or, or struggling with injuries, it was always about the next man up, uh, embracing that role, however limited or inconsistent it might be and trying to maximize your effort while you're on the floor. So I don't think there was ever a tank and in, in, in process. I think that's something that. Fans can theorize about as much as possible, but the reality is that the team never really was moving in that direction. Now, we had hinted at conspiracy theories and things of this sort that maybe they might be uh, sitting, you know, Justice Winslow when he was first diagnosed with a, a shoulder issue. The wrist. The wrist. Or, uh, sorry, the wrist yeah. issue. That's right. We were like, well, that, that seems kind of uh, odd considering that it wasn't really a factor. And all of a sudden it's shutting him down for uh, several weeks at a time. Um, but it seems that there was a legitimate concern there as far as his overall health. You know, there have been other players that have been in you know, have been in and out of the lineup due to injury, but I just think we have to face the reality that, is that there was never a tank. They were really just facing these injuries as they came up, and they were just trying to process it all and, and work through it on a game-to-game basis, and now that things have kind of tied together, I think now we're all of a sudden facing this seven-game win streak, and it's working out rather well. I mean, do you have an explanation as to how the win streak is happening?
1: Well, I mean... Look, this team has had seven new players. Right. Wade and Bosch are gone, so your two best players from last year are gone. Sure. Whiteside and Dragic have to step up as the one and two options. That takes some time, right? That's something Dragic has done, but had you know needs to get used to doing again. That's something Whiteside had never done, and he right. had to be the n- number one scoring option for so much of the f- first part of the year, which and if uh, a small part, a small storyline of this this seven game win streak is that. White side's not bent. They're not relying on Whiteside as much as the number one scoring option as much, which right. is a very good thing. Just in general, White's uh, sorry. Dragic and Dion Waiters have taken a big part of the scoring load, and they've both become the number one options in a lot of ways. So that's a little subplot. But seven new players, eight if you want to account a uh, uh, Kara White on that with that sixteenth roster spot. Yeah. I mean, it takes a long time for these guys to gel. And yeah, maybe the talent wasn't there, but it's still between that and all the injuries that you were talking about. Is it possible that this team just needed time to gel? Needed time to figure out how to play together? Time to figure out how to win? I mean, we were finally, over the last 10 or so games, getting a little bit more of a consistent rotation and guys in the lineup. I mean, Tyler Johnson left the lineup and Whiteside's missed a couple of games, but the core of it, really, is pretty intact. And I think that that is something that is at play here. Now, is it possible, then that the Heat are better now than they were for the first 20 games of the year. Yeah. The first 30 games of the year. Is it, and how good are they? Is it, I mean, are they really five games back of the eighth seed right now? I mean, is it, is it that crazy that that they can get into the mix and that? That's the first question. The second question is, or is, are they just having a moment? Like we've seen every, every Mm. NBA team has a moment every year, right? Where they're just kind of good. I mean, Look, the Seventy Sixers have won ten of their last, or ten. They're ten and four since December thirtieth. Right. The Seventy Sixers were right there with the Heat, with the worst. Like they were one and two with the worst records in the league. The Lakers, they had their moment in the very beginning of the year, didn't they? Ha- come out to a hot start, and since then they've had one of the worst records in the league. Like every Absolutely. team has a moment. So this, the question is: Is this a moment, or have the Heat really turned a corner here? I could believe
0: either one. I I, I tend to think that it's finally gelling together i don't think that this moment well maybe it's a little bit of both how about this because the more i follow basketball and become involved in in, and seeing it on a daily basis and how seasons evolve and everything else how players evolve over the course of the career i find it it becomes so crucial to figure out where you fit on a team hierarchy it's all about that fit you know i think you know, we've talked about this before. They're all everybody in the NBA is a high quality player. Even a guy like Luke Babbitt at some point showed flashes that earned his place in the league. So while there's a fifteenth guy there or a, or you know a number one scoring option, chances are they had to work at a high level to get there and they were a high draft pick. but not everybody turns out to be a LeBron James or a Dwayne Wade or anything like that. And sometimes it's just about finding your specific fit. And I think that's what we're seeing now. I think all the pieces are starting to come together at just the right time. Um, You know, they were trying to integrate just as Winslow Moore into the offense that wasn't working. You had Josh Richardson, who was seen as a, a potentially a higher scoring option as far as the overall hierarchy is concerned. And he was trying to work his way back, but he was out and then he was back in, et cetera. That was a little inconsistency. Tyler Johnson threw that into a mix somewhat because obviously with a big contract, the ball was in his hands a lot, and uh, and they were looking for him to become a, a you know a, a better scoring option that he had been in the past. Whiteside, as you mentioned, so all of these things take time to kind of figure out. And now I think you're finally starting to get a good balance where Goran Dragon says, you know what, this really is my team. The the strong play of Deion Waiters notwithstanding, I think you're starting to see this become more and more Goran's team mm-hmm. and less and less Whitesides. Uh, you know, yes. Dion's obviously played a bigger role. And even the bench, the bench mm-hmm. in particular, I think, has been a, a particularly strong aspect of the seven game win streak. And I think it, it, no more than Willie Reed is, is responsible for that turnaround because his presence on that floor has just been, I think, astronomical. His yeah. consistent effort, his ability to score in a low post, blocking shots with his incredible athleticism. This is the Willie Reed that we had hoped for when we saw him, you know, in summer league and, and, and hoped that he might be able to turn around and, and rejoin this Miami team and, and show a lot of promise and upside. And this is a guy who's clearly found a good groove in his, his playing time and his part in the rotation. And I think he's ready for a bigger role even. And I think we're starting to see that he's a very, very capable player offensively and, and has enough Athleticism to be a strong presence defensively as well. Yeah, so and, I think and we'll
1: talk about Willie Reed really in a little bit, right? One of our questions is sort of about that. Sure. Um, but uh, and what and Wayne Ellington, you're talking about the bench. I mean, he's been on fire lately. So. Sure. Um, that that kind of explains what's going on here. And, and to the other couple questions, what's the point? I mean, look, I don't. I can look at tankathon.com, I can look at the standings, and I look, and and the Heat have gone from the second pick in the draft with a 25% chance of landing the first pick in the draft to now having the 6th or 7th worst record in the league and a 7.5% chance of landing the first pick in the draft. That's frustrating, you know, like, given how frustrating the whole first part of the year was, it's like at least the payoff was a top draft pick and a franchise player potentially, but... Now it's, okay, well, maybe we're going to keep a top 10 pick now? I don't know. That's frustrating. And and objectively, I know that it's better for the Heat to lose. But then you watch the games, man, and it's just so much fun. And it's just like, it is. shit, it is. man, I don't know what I want. So I don't know what side of the, <laughs> the fence of the tanking I'm on. But objectively, I know it's better off that they do. And, you know, as, as uh, Gene alluded to here... Um, even the last time the Heat ended up in the lottery, if they would have went full tank, this team could end up, have could have had Christophs Porzingis or D'Angelo Russell or Carl Anthony Towns. Justice Winslow you know, you and I I think are fans of Winslow in general and it was a good pick at ten, but imagine if this team had Porzingis or Towns. You know what I mean? It'd be we'd be it's be we'd
0: be at a completely different stage of this rebuilding process. We could have let go of Hassan Whiteside and free agency and rebuilt around a younger player at center. Sure,
1: yeah, or even have Whiteside and Towns and Whiteside and Porzingis. I mean, can you imagine that? That would be insane. But yeah. Um. Anyway, that's kind of where we're at right now. Is okay? Is is the Heat's stubbornness and pride to never tank, and to win at all costs going to cost them a French a, a the difference between a franchise player mm-hmm. and maybe a role player? And that's the question here. So, look, it's seven games over the course of an 82-game season. We cannot overreact. The Heat have clearly turned a corner here. Deion Waiters' being healthy has been a boost, but who knows how long he can hold this... Maintain uh, that. Yeah, maintain this play for. Those are all the questions. But in general, what does this win streak give us? It just gives us more questions. And if the Heat are able to keep this type of play going... Yeah, maybe they don't end up with one of the top three picks in the draft, but they end up with a lottery pick still. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're able to hit in one of the deepest drafts in a long time, right? We kept talking about how deep this draft is, so even the ninth or 10th or 11th pick in the draft still should provide a good player. And maybe this team isn't as—if this team maintains this level of play throughout the year and it really has turned a corner— it's not as far away in a rebuilding process, perhaps, than what we originally thought. And so the need for the top three pick maybe isn't as important. So that's that's really where we're at right now. We, but um, unless you have anything else to add to that, we should move on to our next question because we're all stuck well, out of here.
0: I mean, my, my thought about you know embracing the tank and you, we should have tanked and things of that sort, and, and I understand why why fans might think so, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's something that teams do. I mean, what we saw in Philadelphia over the last few seasons is a complete and total aberration, one that the league frowned on, the one that a lot of fans frowned on outside of the Philadelphia area. They just thought it was, quote-unquote, bad for basketball, but it takes a lot of of courage to to embrace that kind of long term prank uh, the tanking rather um i think you can't really look at a professional whose whole life has been built upon the concept that they're supposed to excel at the highest level that they're supposed to chase wins at the highest level and tell them you know what don't chase that win anymore that's impossible or 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 if not impossible bad for just overall business and, 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 and it's dealing to, with people.
1: if you have that kind of mindset it's hard to evaluate the talent that's already on the roster so at the very right. least at least miami is getting a realistic view of what this roster is and what this roster needs yeah i'm with you The the 76ers trust the process is a total aberration you can't use that for a benchmark or even an expectation right. that was sam Hinkey trying to game the system um and it, it may have worked, right, with Joel Embiid and Neurons Noel and and Ben Simmons and everything, but that's not what's going to happen anywhere else in the league, probably ever again, just because of the way the league essentially cracked down on it. Um, So, with all that said, you know, maybe they can get a little bit more injured, maybe another injury happens, Another Tyler Johnson's out for a longer time, who knows? I don't know, but, look, I don't think this team is going to go to a they're not gonna. They're not so good that they're gonna suddenly leap into the conference finals or something like that. So,
0: no. Right. I think they have still. A very fa- low they're, they're,
1: yeah, they're still gonna. Yeah, low ceiling. They'll still have a lottery pick. At least we're evaluating it. So, um, anyway, we we spoke about Dion Waiters a little bit. Here's our next question. I know it sounds nuts, but what if? But what if we sent Deion Waiters back to the Cleveland Cavaliers for their first round pick, which would essentially be a second round pick, given how they're gonna probably be in the finals. Uh, LeBron's been complaining about adding a playmaker, and Dion knows the organization. That question from George Coles. Um, well, <laughs> look, it would be interesting, but and it would be a genius move on Riley's part, at least for being able to sign a player that nobody wanted and then be able to flip him after half a season for a first-round pick. It might be something. Um, the Cavaliers technically could do it, they could absorb Deion Waiters' contract with the trade exception that they have and just give the first-round pick back to Miami. It works logically uh, and financially. But how could the Heat, just having just, coming, you know, piggybacking off what we just said, how the Heat do not tank, right? And they're, right. Pr- they're a proud organization that famously says, we will not tank. To say that, to do that. And Mickey Harrison this morning tweeting how this team will never tank. It's that this is a three-time championship organization, um, always looking to win. To be able to have to be able to, to maintain that image and then waiters claiming that this is his city and being able to get away with it and doing what he just did to beat the Warriors and all this stuff, and then trade him right now for a first round pick, something uh, that it would essentially amount to it being a second-round pick, but you'd have to pay more money for. Um, I don't know that the, he could get away with that, to be honest.
0: Well, I'll tell you what they could do and and, and might make this kind of trade a, a possibility. What if they were to go directly to waiters and talk to him and say, look, we have a chance to send you to Cleveland. We've had minor discussions about it, but we kind of backed off after they contacted us regarding your availability and I, we wanted to talk to you, engage your interests and and the way they could potentially sell it or pitch it to him is you have an opportunity to go back, make good on a, what was the shaky start to your career. Right. You can sell them on the fact that you've matured, that you've grown, that you know how to fit into LeBron's system, um, that you can show how you've grown and matured theoretically at the highest level. Can you not picture the the, the glory of Deion Waiters hitting the game-winning shot in Game 7 against the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals and being responsible for bringing the second title to Cleveland in as many years. And long-term, if he's able to go to Cleveland and continue to excel the way he has in Miami, all of a sudden his value goes through the roof. It's one thing to be a good player on a bad team with a bad record. It's another thing to do it in a playoff scenario as part of a team where you have to embrace a certain role. Like if, if Channing Fry had been a free agent this summer, his value would have been through the roof considering right. what he did with the put during the players. So you're
1: talking about year. selling waiters on it so that he can draw drive his value up. And I right. that makes sense to me. Like go win a championship, that's gonna speak more volumes than doing what you're doing right now. But um,
0: And then you can still he can still opt out of his contract right. and when he's done there he could theoretically always come back to Miami. There's, all, there's going to be a key under the mat for him as well. It's getting uh, to be a pretty uh, busy mat under there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Cleveland, would they
1: do it, right? Like LeBron forced Waiters out in the first place. Like, does he want to bring him back?
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. I would say no. I would. I don't think so, right? I think, um, yeah. I think he's looking for something very, very unique. Somebody who's not... He's looking for a veteran point
1: guard. He's looking for a Matthew Dellavedova who's a pass first guy. He's looking for a okay. Mo Williams that hasn't retired. He's looking that's what he's looking for. And I don't that Waiters isn't that. And as much as we love Waiters, that's just not his game and that's fine, but that's not what I don't think LeBron is looking for. Um and even that I wouldn't tra- I would to be honest, I wouldn't trade Waiters for Cleveland's first round pick. Like you're it's going to be the 29th or the 30th pick in the draft. Sure. You're going to be overpaying that because like, you know, you, pay, you have yes. to pay a first round pick a lot more money than a second round pick. I'd rather get to take a second round pick, like the first or second pick in the second round over that. Yeah. And, and given Miami's success. Right. Yeah. Yes. Given Miami's success finding second rounders. Yeah, absolutely. Like that seems like a more, that, that seems like a better deal. If he could get like a few second rounders back, that would work. But in general, I, like what we were talking about before, if this team's turned a corner, Waiters is a big part of that. And if he is, Yeah. We've got to evaluate what's going on here instead of selling high. There's value in that. And just like the Heat did this with Whiteside last season, right? There was a lot of talk about trading Whiteside before you had to pay him. But the Heat, they said, you know what? We're not going to overthink this. Let's just evaluate him the rest of the year, and we'll we'll you know cross that bridge in the offseason when we have to. And I think that's the route that they're going to take with Dion, unless of course some team comes up and says we'll give you a lottery pick for Dion Waiters, then they'd probably do it. But I also right. think they'd take a lottery pick for Goran Dragic. I just it's yeah. you know basically what I'm trying to say is you don't have to sell Waiters. It's worth letting him walk away. Or being able to resign him if the if the only, the best value we can get in return is some late first round pick that like, Waiters is twenty five years old. It's like you're not. Yeah. It's not like you're trying to trade thirty six year old Kyle Corver where you get a first round pick back for him. Is worth it, right? Because he's only got so many years left. Waiters, Waiters is still getting better, you know, essentially. So,
0: and, and we talked about this last week, and then coincidentally, there's also a great story or a piece by. Barry Jackson in today's Miami Herald, where he talks about the possibility of the shift in thinking from Miami's front office that maybe a long term rebuild or or a long term, you know, growing back to where they were in the past, not necessarily a rebuild, but might be more focused on this crop, the team's current crop of potential free agents. That includes James Johnson. That includes Willie Reed. Should he opt out? It includes, you know, Wayne Ellington um, and, of course, Dion. And that maybe the possibility is, look, they're trying to figure out whether or not these players can fit into the system, whether or not they can be the building blocks of whatever future success. Chris Bosch's money will potentially come off books in a few weeks or soon. Um, and then you could still add a free agent and just add or take that money, whatever's available into, you know, re-signing Dion Waiters for a large amount, re-signing James Johnson, et cetera. So there's still, there are pieces there and they have to look at whether or not they're they're valuable or whether or not they can contribute on a long-term basis. So why not keep them on the field, on the roster rather, look at how they're performing and then determine at the end of the summer, whether or not you want to offer them the, the kind of money that they th- might think that they're worth. Yeah, absolutely. The
1: upside of a 25 year old young Wieters is probably higher than that than the 29th or 30th pick in the draft, even in this draft. Yes. So, yes. Um, all right. Next question then. Uh, more trade talk, of course. Wes David, love your podcast. Hey, thanks. Doesn't it make sense for Pat Riley to at least probe the Knicks about a Melo for Dragic trade? The Knicks clearly want to part with Carmelo Anthony, and I don't see another team offering a player of Dragic's caliber for him. I guarantee Melo would waive his no-trade clause and play in Miami. The Knicks reunite Dragic with Jeff Hornacek, his coach in Phoenix. Plus, they don't have to max out Derrick Rose this summer. Brandon Jennings is a free agent that couldn't end up with no point guard. Works for them. For the Heat... Melo's money would essentially take the place of Chris Bosh's. Chris Paul is Melo's best bud. Plus, Dwayne Wade doesn't seem to be happy in Chicago and might be willing to join Melo in Miami. We know Riley lives for trades like these. That, to me, is is the the heart of this question. Uh, sure. This is from Jacquez LeAndre. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay. There's two parts that I kind of want to... Look, the Knicks would do it right i don't what or if they don't i don't care like the the Knicks, would they knows do what it? they would do yeah i don't I, I think they would for dragic but i don't really want to spend a lot of time on that i want to spend more of it on miami's thought process and i don't see why the heat would do this i mean look at i'm just going to read the 2016 17 season stats here between the two guys mm-hmm. um goran dragic points per game, 6.4 assists per game, 4 rebounds a game, with shooting clips of 47 from the field, 41% from three-point range, and 79% from the free throw line. Right? Carmelo Anthony, 22.6 points per game, 3 assists per game, 6 rebounds a game, and his shooting clips 43-37-83. By all, like, Dragic is the better playmaker... He's mm-hmm. the more efficient scorer, right? He's scoring less points per game, but not taking nearly as many shots. His percentages are all higher. Um, he's younger. He's, he's younger by two or three years. Mm-hmm. And um, his, he even rates out better defensively than Carmelo Anthony. And, <laughs> That's saying something. Which says a lot. And so all of that, right? Like, let's, say, let's even say it all breaks even, Right, like Carmelo Anthony is a you know, he's an all-star scorer who can create his own shot. I think Goran Dragic at this point in his career can just create his own shot as well as, if not better than Carmelo Anthony, to be honest. I think Anthony's mm-hmm. settling for a lot of contested jumpers. But yeah. um even if you say, Okay, all things even, right? Carmelo Anthony's still making eight to ten million dollars more per season for the rest of his contract compared to Dragic's. So would you rather take Dragic and a player Worth eight to ten million dollars a year, or Carmelo Anthony, I take driveage I mean, plus the ten million player.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the value is clearly leaning towards what Miami already has, and and I and and you know Jacques's point or Jacques' point about Riley living for these trades certainly a well a well thought out one, and and certainly something we've seen in the past, but. At the same time, I think this is a player well past its prime and, and you have to look at what the point is of adding a guy like Carmelo. Is it gonna put more seats more butts in seats? Maybe. You know, maybe you hear in South Florida that you've got Carmelo Anthony too and fans on the periphery might say, Oh, I know that name. I'll go see this team, you know, play on a nightly basis. But over the course of the next year or two or three of Carmelo's contract The team's going to lose a lot, and they're going to lose a lot more without Goran and with Carmelo just because he's the kind of player – you can't – I've always considered Carmelo to be a secondary type player, not a guy who's going to carry the team Mm -hmm. and make them win. Like he's he's probably a very secondary level superstar an excellent scorer and everything else but still one that you can't necessarily take or can't necessarily take that team to the next level. And I think that's, especially now at this point in his career with his health somewhat in question, slow-footed, not able to really get off the ground, still able to score at a decent rate. um, I I just don't see why you would want to add a team here. It it completely throws off the idea of this team rebuilding or or integrating their younger players like, you know, Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, Tyler Johnson, et cetera. I mean, and how it changes... The team dynamic, it it could potentially be catastrophic because all of a sudden what you're doing is paying a whole hell of a lot of money for a player that's way past his prime and doesn't make the players around him better. So from Miami's perspective, I I just can't see why you would want to do it in the first place other than to say, oh, I've got a big name. You know, it's always about, you know, when Shaquille O'Neal was brought in in 2004, that was a vastly different player. While you could have argued that maybe he was no longer in his prime prime he was still really, really, really good. This is not the same level of player that Carmelo Anthony is at this point in his career. Right. You know, and we even saw Shaq continue to degrade while he was here in Miami, and then once he left to Phoenix, once he went to Boston and Cleveland and everything else. You know, this was a shade yeah, two, of, the, we got, of the player. We, he is. we traded him in a time where he had like two and a half really good years of Shaq, like right here in Miami.
1: Yeah, it would have been like it would be like getting LeBron. Next year. Well, who knows how long he's going to be great. But it would be, you know what I mean. It's yeah. like, yeah, Carmelo Anthony is well past his prime. It would have been like getting Carmelo maybe three years ago. I don't know. Like,
0: yeah, I, that's a good point. I yeah, think, it, I think it, you're, that's more on the money. Three years ago, and not we don't want to be Phoenix. Whatever.
1: We don't want to be Phoenix trading for Carmelo Anthony now, right? Like, or we, you know what I mean? We don't want to be the Phoenix in that Shack trade where you just get like this. Big... And certainly not at twenty plus million dollars a year. No. Hell no. And, I mean, for so, ten or less, maybe. And that, and I like your point that he is a secondary player. Maybe even at his peak, he was a secondary role player. I think so. A, a secondary superstar. And I, and I agree with that. But then the other part of this question, and by the way, this was a, a we got another a similar question from uh, Kina Sweat, very similar uh, about trading Gorn for Melo and then getting Wade. And then, um, so just a little shout out there, but yeah. Uh this whole idea so let's say he is a secondary player and then the idea of being able to attract the banana boat crew, right? Like these big names, <laughs> like you're getting it, it, let's hypothetically, let's just say this works, right? Carmel yeah. Anthony comes to Miami, Dwayne Wade's like the hell of Chicago, this is a disaster. I'm coming back to South Beach. So, okay. Yeah, here's your key, it was under the mat the whole time, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and Chris Paul's like, Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. The Clippers, I am not being able to win here. Let me see what I could do in Miami with Pat Riley. They know how to win. And he joins them. The Heat would have mm. to trade or Hassan Whiteside for this to happen. For sure. Because yeah. no, otherwise they won't be able to fit all those contracts. So now we have a situation where, okay, maybe Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade, they're your number one options. You know, Chris Paul right now could possibly still be a number one option in a championship team. He's really great. Injury concerns and everything aside, maybe that, but that's a really top-heavy team. It's a veteran team. Your window has shrunk. You've traded your best young player in Hassan Whiteside just to make room for these guys. Winslow's growth will stagnate. Tyler Johnson's growth will stagnate. If you And you probably have to trade him, too, to be honest. Josh mm-hmm. Richardson, who knows? He gets buried on the depth chart. Um, you are in a lot of ways. And, of course, you've traded away Dragic. So, this sounds very similar to what the Brooklyn Nets did in 2013, no? Right. And where you right. just, pay, you're paying the, a big price. You're sacrificing your future for maybe a two year window with a veteran aging trio that still, even that roster together, is not as good as what Cleveland's got with LeBron James and everything he's got going. It sounds like a disaster. Look at what the Brooklyn Nets are doing now. It sounds yeah. like a disaster. You don't want to go down that road. It's not worth it. So, um, all right, next question here. This is from Big Pat. What are your thoughts on a Nikola Miritich swap for Derek Williams and Luke Babbitt? Miritich signed a three-year, $16.6 million contract with the Bulls, all of which is guaranteed in an annual average salary of $5.5 million. Williams and Babbitt's expiring deals work as far as matching salary. Didn't
0: we answer this last week?
1: I think you and I talked about it, but we didn't answer it. Did we answer it? I don't know. Did I, I think, bury, I did I bury have... this up from last week's mailbag? All right, let's, let's make it quick here then. Uh, look, Babbitt... And Williams for Miritich, it works for the Bulls because they get out of a long-term deal and get two expirings back if they're if they're done with Miritich, which it seems like they might be. And if that's the if that's the truth, then maybe the Heat can pounce and get a player who's flash stretch four potential in the past, but maybe yeah. isn't very good. We'll see. Maybe they think well, we'll get more out of this guy than the Bulls did. Maybe that's possible. The problem with that is Riley doesn't want to take long-term deals in the in. In return in a rebuilding year. He's never wanted to do that. He avoids it like the plague. He probably Mm -hmm. won't do it However, I do like the idea of a two for one in order to open up a permanent roster spot to sign O'Kara White But I wouldn't do it at this price You could just yes or no that or add whatever you want, but we can move on through this one.
0: Yeah I mean, I just think Miritich is a a Nice name outside of Chicago maybe but the reality is he's not a very good shooter He's shooting 30% or less at this point um, from three-point range He's inconsistent. He'll go on hot streaks where he can have a number of games where he does score at a high level, and then he'll just drift off into nothingness. His defense is woeful. He's got length. But I don't think he's necessarily the kind of player that you want to include there, and I, I, I don't see him as a significant upgrade over Luke Babbitt. Yeah and, it's me, not, and it,
1: yeah, and it's not worth taking that deal, right? It's just that's like right. a Josh McRoberts contract. Why would you have?
0: Right. Yeah. Luke Babbitt for under a million dollars a year is one thing. You know, yeah. Meritage for you know six million a year is not. And then Babbitt's off the deal, off the books after this year. So, right. all right. Next question. This
1: is from Alex, our Swedish represent- representative of Dion Waiters's Peninsula. Sweet. It's growing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had no idea. And, you know, thank you, Mr. Uh, representer. Is that that's not a word? Representative? That's weak. Mr. Sir, sir. Representative?
0: That's... Yeah, there you go. That's better. Okay.
1: I know you guys are very high on Miami trying to land one of the top point guard prospects in the draft like Fultz or Ball. But mm. should Miami perhaps take a strategy where they look at players who might have the biggest upside? After using way too much of my free time watching the top 2017 draft prospects, I actually believe Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State might have the highest ceiling out of anyone in this year's draft. His first year in the league may be a struggle for him, but given how excellent Miami is at player development, Isaac could end up as a six foot ten superstar scorer, much like Kevin Durant, an MVP caliber player. Your thoughts?
0: I don't know if you have much thoughts on Jonathan Isaac. I mean I, I started watching him a little bit when we saw when I saw this question and I can understand why the comparison to Durant comes up, but I don't know that he's necessarily I mean, I think it's it's tough to see anybody... it's one I've in. seen a couple of places too. I mean, I, I could see it because he is really, 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 really rangy. I mean yeah. he's very, very long. Um right now Draft Express has him listed as the eighth best uh prospect in next year's or this year's draft. So Clearly, a lot of people think highly of him. So Miami might wind up finding themselves in a spot to take the Mm -hmm. eighth player in the draft anyway. If they still stay in the lottery and and they're not able to Mm -hmm. get into the top three, they might be looking at a guy like Isaac as a potential filler there. I mean, I think his best attribute. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. I mean, if they're not able to get any of the top 3 picks in the draft maybe it's time to look at the you know the lower tier there maybe guys who fall into the 7 through 13 range and see where Miami might might wind up somewhere around there if they continue their winning ways and and look he's a, he's long he does have scoring ability he has some range he's really really skinny though and he's got a guy who's going to get bullied around a lot i mean he could be Kevin Durant or he could be Darrell Wright too who was drafted right out of high school and and, and had very similar mm. length and a, and a similar frame uh, and was buried in Miami's depth chart and just never really turned into anything more than a, a good role player. I think his frame,
1: he looks like he'll fill out. Sure. You know, he's not... If he works. If he works hard, right? I mean, we look at like a Brandon Ingram who the Lakers took. I don't think he's going to get much bigger than what he is. And he was another guy, long, lanky scorer who was compared to Durant. But hes he, I don't know how much bigger he can get. Jonathan Isaac, look... I've watched him quite a bit this year, and I'm a big fan of Jonathan Isaac. I, we've talked a lot about how much I love Markel Fultz and even Lonzo Ball. Yeah. On my draft board, it's Fultz, Giant Gap, uh, Lonzo Ball, Jonathan Isaac. He's my third favorite third player top. right now. Wow. That I and
0: So you see that much kind of upside for him.
1: Yeah, I don't see the Durant stuff. I don't think he's the natural score Durant is. He's got a nice shooting stroke, but he's not Durant. And I don't think it's fair to put those expectations on guys. We saw that <laughs> what we saw real. what happened with Winslow and Kawhi Leonard. I just want to avoid that. However, the idea of Jonathan Isaac look, we, we talked to um uh uh who do we talk to? Guy from Sports Illustrated. Why am I blanking on the name? Rohan, Rohan, Vicar- yeah. We talked about to Rohan about um what he wanted out of the draft. He's like, I kind of want somebody, like, b- a bigger wing with some potential. He, and he was talking about how those are kind of driving the league. And Isaac, fits that he is, if he's not the future Durant, he is certainly the future of what this league is looking like, where you want big, long, versatile, athletic wings. And that's what he is. He could play the three. He could play the four. Him and Winslow is a really apparently. nice, like, interchangeable forward combination. I can see that. That works to me. That really works to me. And he's a really smooth score. If he's not Durant, maybe he's like a Giannis type, where, you know, he looks like a young, skinny Giannis. Now, Giannis has filled out a lot. But it's like, I I mean, I I, I, I
0: saw him on 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 person, you know, as you well know. and, And I texted you specifically that. Seeing him and his length was so impressive that he reminds me of Durant, but just a Durant who's jacked up and has spent right. a lot of time in the weight room.
1: And that, that, you know, maybe he doesn't have that crazy athletic versatility, Euro step from the half court line stuff that Giannis could do. And he's not the natural scorer that Durant is, but Isaac is might be in that mold of just really rangy, versatile, can give you some rim protection from the wing position. He's able to switch defensively. That makes sense to me, and if the Heat want to go in a direction where they embrace where the league is going, a player like Jonathan Isaac could be really nice. And as far as the ceiling goes, I love his ceiling. I think he's got the second highest ceiling on anybody outside of Markelle Fultz. I, I think he's, wow. I think he's really good. I've watched a few of his games. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Jonathan Isaac. He's like I said, third on my, on my draft board. So, all right, last question here. Um, looking to the off season, at what point can the Heat actually make? that CJ McCollum trade if the Blazers were interested because if Willie Reed keeps playing this well I think you can get away with him at center this question from Chris Leach um, love this question because this is what I'm I was talking about earlier about talking about Willie Reed uh, yeah. can I just like I want, I, want, I want to get more of your thoughts on Willie Reed but just briefly on the CJ McCollum cool. part uh, at yeah, what point did he actually make the trade at the McCollum trade I think it was two mailbags ago two Monday mailbags ago we have a couple surprise ones in there Two Monday mailbags ago, we talked in depth about this McCollum deal. So if you're wondering what this trade is, Chris obviously remembers it. Go back, listen to that. At what point can the Heat actually make the trade? And I think Chris is alluding to that poison pill contract situation when the new NBA calendar year starts. So basically it would be like a draft day trade or right after. So that's that situation. Um, Let's talk about... I I really want to focus on the Willie Reed part here because this is the interesting part. Uh, If he keeps playing this well, do you think that the Heat could play him at center, David?
0: Yes, yeah, I think they could. I think they could get away with starting him. Um, And I think it would do a lot to boost his confidence. And I think, one, I mean, certainly, I think he'd be up to the challenge because, as I hinted at before, it's another way for him to continue showcasing his skills. Whether he stays in Miami or not, he could prove that he's capable of getting starters money uh, in his upcoming contract. So I think it's something that most players going into the league obviously want. I mean, they want to start. They want to get a lot of playing time. They want to, you know, prove, especially a guy that's, you know, been through the things that he has and had to like kind of toil away and didn't really get a big contract coming out of college or anything like that to get paid at a high level is something that's certainly appealing. I mean, we saw with wide side. I mean, I think it certainly applies to Reed as well. So, I think he'd could certainly, he'd certainly be up to the challenge. And His run
1: protection numbers are very comparable to Hassan Whiteside. Like you mentioned before, he's blocking yeah. shots. He's athletic. He's younger than Whiteside by like a year or two. He is. Yeah. And he plays better in space. Look, if Miami, kind of jumping on that Jonathan Isaac situation, if Miami wants to play like how the future of the NBA is going, Whiteside's mm-hmm. a dinosaur. Willie Reed kind of fits that mold a little bit better. He sets better screens near the top of the key you know he can roll to the rim just fine. He can oh. protect the rim enough. He could pass
0: the ball better. I Did think- you see? I, I mean, it was one small play, but I watched it like five times. One, he was setting a screen for James Johnson, and he 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 definitely. Spun towards the hoop. Uh, yeah, Andre Drummond was guarding him at this point, and he just left him absolutely flat-footed. Yeah, and Johnson thread the needle with a perfect bounce pass that that Reed corralled perfectly and finished for a nice dunk. Love it. That was like one of the best plays. It was like what we had seen from Whiteside a couple seasons ago. If, yeah, and if look, if basically
1: the Heat could pay Willie Reed forty percent of what they're paying Hassan Whiteside, yeah, it's still and a part get of more than forty percent of Whiteside in return. Right. then then you have to think about it, right? I'm not saying do it or don't do it. Whiteside might have that superstar potential. Who knows? But I don't. we don't think he does, but maybe Riley does. Um, so if that's the case, but it's something that you have to think about. And if you can jettison Whiteside, get something in return, a C.J. McCollum, somebody else, who knows? A, a comparable player, though, that's a really nice haul in return. And then being able to play Willie Reed there, and if the Heat want to play small in the future there could be situations where you're not even playing with a center on the floor at the end of games. So why would you pay a center $22-plus plus million a year if they're not going to be on the floor at the end of the year? If you want to re-sign James Johnson, make him your small ball five for 8 to 12 uh-huh. minutes a game, and maybe go with a death lineup at the end of games. It really depends on what direction this team wants to go to. But more importantly, what Willie Reed is doing right now, he's forcing Miami to ask that question. Because I don't think that they could sign him back at $10 million for a backup center position. I think that's too much... Money to go into one center, posi- one position at center. Um, right. right, they're at, they're may they they may be forcing Pat Riley
0: to ask this question. So, anyway. I, I think. um What if you were to trade him for like a Jonas Valanciunas and Whiteside? Ship him to Toronto, and 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 I think Valanciunas' contract comes off the books, yeah. right? Doesn't it expire at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean... so then you'd be in that same
1: situation. I think if you trade Whiteside, you trade him for a stretch four um a shooting guard, I don't know, a small forward, somebody that could score. I think you trade him for a scorer, or a sh- or a stretch four who can fit today's game, who might even be able to move to center, um, in small ball situations. That's or draft picks. Hell, I mean, trade Whiteside for two future first round picks. Maybe that's the answer. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Because then you get his contract off the books and.
0: Well, maybe to Denver for Nurkic in the first round or something like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, something like that, where you get his contract off the books, maybe take minimal salary back, and now you've freed up some cap space and acquired some future assets. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a question you have to ask, right? Um, okay. Yeah. Well, those are all of our questions. That's all we have for today. Thank you. If you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, we appreciate you listening. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at Heat or by email. You can send us mailback questions, comments, or sponsorship opportunities. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. And if you're not subscribed already, please do so to get the podcast automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Hey, Wes again. Did you know that podcast listeners are 65% more likely to engage with a sponsor than listeners of any other medium? If your company is looking to reach a male audience between the ages of 18 and 44, you should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Heat is listened to by 95% men, 74% of which are between the ages of 18 and 44. Plus, our rates are reasonable, or you can decide that for yourself. Email us at lockedonheat@gmail.com at gmail.com to find out more about sponsoring Locked on Heat and engaging the audience you want to reach.